Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Dane Kramer, and I'm glad you're here today. I'm recording this episode from my car. I'm sitting in a parking lot right now. Uh, I have some time to kill, and I thought, you know what? Why not rip off another podcast? So that's what I'm doing here. So I'll do my best to kind of keep out some of the noises, the background noises, some traffic and things like that. I hope they don't bleed in too badly. But I thought, hey, you know, most people listen to podcasts while they're driving, so why not record one in a car? It kind of fits, doesn't it? I hope it does. Um, the, if, you want to like, if you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, uh, feel free to go to my website. Just go to thethinkingchristian.us, thethinkingchristian, all one word, .us. And then you'll be directed to my website where you can find uh, more information about me, about this website, about some resources that I have there. Uh, feel free to, uh, to read and, and just enjoy whatever you'd like to. So, Also, if you care to, you're, you can uh, leave comments on any particular podcast that you listen to. If there's something you liked or didn't like, just um, go to that particular podcast and there's a comment section there. You can feel free to leave a comment. And uh, Also, keep in mind, if you like something, don't hesitate to share it. You know, just click share, put it on your own social media platform, and say, hey, I listen to this, you listen to this, <laughs> something like that. You know, uh, I would appreciate that. All right, let's uh, take a look at today's topic, uh, and that is what, is what is the difference between Roman Catholics and Protestants? Um, I would have to say that this is probably one of the most frequently asked questions that I get in my jail ministry. Um, I go to the jail uh, sometimes several times a week, and there I uh, spend time with inmates leading Bible studies. And a lot of these inmates don't have a, a real good grasp on church, church history, and, and, and matters of faith like that. And so it's a common question. I, I'd have to say probably that this question is in the top five. I mean, it's it's up there. A lot of a lot of guys will ask, um, they'll say, hey, well, you know, what's the difference between a, a Catholic and... And then that, that's usually where they pause because they don't know the word Protestant, but um, they don't know how to phrase that exactly. Uh, but I know it's a struggle for a lot of people. They don't understand the differences. They, they kind of know there's some differences, but they don't really understand them. And I can't really discuss all of the differences here today, but I'm going to start with what I think is the most important difference between Catholics and non-Catholics or Catholics and, and Roman, or excuse me, and Protestants. And, and I think other differences then stem from this one major difference. Okay. Now, let me first begin by saying that uh, I'm not Catholic bashing. I'm, I'm not a Catholic. And so sometimes, um, Protestants get in the um, in the way of bashing Catholics, or you know they don't understand them, and they'll they'll talk uh, down to them. I, I'm going to try to as as fair handedly as I can talk about this subject, and I, I respect our Catholic brothers and sisters. I do believe that a person can be born again and and um, connected to Jesus through the Roman Catholic Church, just like a person can be born again and connected to Jesus through the uh, uh, Protestant churches. So. Um, I'm certainly not bashing, but I, I think it's interesting to, to discuss and to talk about some of these differences so that you know, maybe you know a little bit more about it. And that's what I like to do on the Thinking Christian podcast is just give you more information. All right. Um, if I were to sum up the difference between Catholics and non-Catholics or Catholics and Protestants, if I were to sum up the difference in one word, the word that I would use would be authority. And in authority is sort of sort of, I think, where we can begin to understand the differences. Now, both Catholics and non-Catholics would probably agree that Christ is is the head of the church, that uh, his authority is supreme in, in, the, in the church. But how is Christ's authority understood? How is it recognized? How is it carried out? 
uh, in the church. And that's sort of where the differences really sort of begin. All right. Let me explain here. Um, and, and I'll kind of talk initially from a Catholic perspective. Now, I'm not Roman Catholic, but I've studied the matter enough to feel comfortable talking about it. But let me also add, if you are a Catholic and you disagree with what I'm saying, please, please leave me a comment. Correct me. Tell me where I'm wrong so that I can adjust my thinking. But, um, I, you know, although I'm talking as an outsider of the Catholic Church, again, I, I think what I'm about to say um, is sound. Uh, in, in, in terms of what of how Catholics understand uh, authority in the church. To do this, we have to go to Matthew chapter 16. Now, I'm, I don't have a Bible with me. I'm in a car. So I'm going to kind of do this from memory. Um, and if I, if, I, uh, if I miss paraphrase some of the verses or if I kind of point you to the wrong verse in a chapter, uh, forgive me, but uh, I think I can do this well enough from memory. But Matthew chapter 16 is a pretty key passage of Scripture uh, for both Catholics and non-Catholics. And especially Catholics, because it's in Matthew 16 that a very, very important doctrine to the Catholic Church is uh, sort of found, or at least it, it, it begins there. The doctrine would, would be called the primacy of Peter. You can write that down, the primacy of Peter. Um, it's a doctrine that has its origins in Matthew chapter 16. I, I believe the, the discourse that we're going to talk about begins with verse 13. And it's Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are in a, a region known as Caesarea Philippi. And um, he's talking with them and he asks them uh, this very famous question, who do men say that I am? You know, Jesus kind of wants to know what the scuttlebutt is. You know, what are people saying out there? And, and apparently he's talking to his disciples who he supposes have their ear to the ground. They're, they're hearing about him and and so he wants to know what they're hearing so he says who do men say that i am and the answers that they give him are and it i don't know who is the spokesperson at this point um or maybe there are several answers given uh some said that, that jesus was john the baptist some said he was elijah some said jeremiah and some say well you're another prophet uh, something like that and then he asked that very very important question who do you say that i am so he wanted to know what his disciples were thinking about him and this is where Peter um, kind of jumps in. And whether Peter is speaking for the disciples or whether he's speaking just for himself is not clear to me. But he speaks up and he said, you are the Christ or you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Um, he makes a very bold proclamation as to his belief as to who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah. And Jesus seemingly turns to Peter and he addresses Peter directly because he said, I, um, he said, I, I say to you, Peter, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Um, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, he said, and I give you the keys of the kingdom that whatever you bind on earth will bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, and so it sounds like what Jesus is doing is giving Peter Maybe some special privileges. As a matter of fact, the Roman Catholic Church would believe that that is the case. Because as he said to him, uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So uh, Peter becomes, it sounds like, very foundational in the construction of the church. Um, and he said, and I give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, if, if you were to, for example, give the keys to your car to someone else, then you're giving them the authority to drive your car. If you give someone the keys to your house, you would say, here, you can enter my house. You're giving them the right or the authority to do that. So when Jesus says, I give you the keys of the kingdom, Roman Catholics are very quick to point out that Peter is getting some very special privileges that the other disciples are not getting. I mean, Jesus doesn't name the other disciples as he, as he dispenses with these keys. Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. 
And so out of this passage of scripture, uh, there is the Roman Catholic doctrine, the primacy of Peter, that Peter becomes sort of uh, primary among the disciples, that he is set apart by Jesus himself to be a leader among the disciples, uh, the first among equals, as he's sometimes referred to, uh, that, that, that Jesus spotlights Peter and he hands Peter the keys. And so Peter is, is set above the other disciples in a, in a sense and in a way uh, that he he that Peter himself becomes this this foundation uh, which the church is is built upon. Okay, now there's a, another passage of scripture that the Roman Catholics get another very important doctrine, at least very important in terms of this of this podcast. And that doctrine is often called or is called the um, apostolic secession. Okay, apostolic comes from the word apostle, succession, like to succeed, to come from. Um, and I'll, I'll describe what it means and, and where it comes from, because this is very important. Acts chapter 1, uh, the latter part of the chapter, I can't recall the, the verse exactly, but in Acts chapter 1, towards the end of that chapter, uh, you'll find the apostles, they're, they're in uh, Jerusalem. Jesus had already ascended to heaven, so he's no longer with them physically. Um, and the church is, you know, really about to explode in growth as, as Acts chapter 2 happens and the Holy Spirit is given. But the disciples are meeting together and Peter, he stands up and he addresses the, the disciples and he reminds them that Judas is no longer with them. Now, um, there were 12 disciples. Judas, he fell from the faith and he left the faith. He betrayed Jesus and he hanged himself. And so their numbers uh, had been reduced to 11. And so Peter stands up and reminds him of this, and he he says that we need to replace Peter, or excuse me, Judas, so to speak. He, you know, we need to find someone who's been with Jesus from the very beginning, who witnessed the resurrection, and and um, you know, who, who could that be? And as a result, they came up with two names. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and so Matthias became the replacement for Judas. Um, and um, and Peter even quoted some Old Testament passages from the Book of Psalms to to uh, to sort of underwrite uh, what he was doing and why they needed to do this. And so, from this passage of Scripture, from Acts chapter one, the second doctrine uh, is is de- uh, or develops, and that is the is called apostolic secession. And basically, what it means is is that as the d- disciples die, they're replaced by someone else. So as Judas, of course, hanged himself, a replacement for Judas, Matthias, was found, and that number was brought up to 12. And so as the, as the disciples died off, the, their replacements were appointed and came in. And the authority that Jesus had given these disciples rests with the, their office. And therefore, what the replacements, so to speak, would say or do is as binding as the original apostles whom Jesus had placed in, in charge. Now, this is particularly uh, important in terms of Peter, because as we just talked about, Peter is is primary. He's the leader. He's the one that Jesus in, um, himself recognized as the leader of the church. Therefore, whoever replaces Peter sort of becomes the leader. And um, this is uh, very evident in, in the modern papacy. Um, papacy would be in the office of the Pope. Uh, the Pope is often called the papacy. The office is called the papacy. And Pope just means father, uh, means dad. Um, so uh, the, the modern day popes are 
um, reflective of this idea of apostolic succession, that these men have been appointed to replace the men who replaced the men who replaced the men the whole way back to replace the apostles. And therefore, the Pope, the current Pope, whomever that might be, is in the office of Peter, and therefore he has authority over the church given to him by Jesus himself. I think a way to kind of illustrate this, to make this understood, would be to, uh, let's say, look at a a corporation. Um, Let's say the vice president of marketing, um, he retires and he leaves office. And so the company hires a new vice president of marketing. And so the new vice president moves into the office, and therefore he has the same rights and privileges and authority that the old one had. The old one is gone, the new one is in. And as he executes the duties of his office, he's executing as the vice president. He has the authority to, to do those things. Not, side, not outside of his office, but in his office, he has the right to, to exercise as the vice president. Okay, So that's sort of a, an explanation of how I understand the apostolic succession. And so these two passages, uh, Matthew 16 and the Acts chapter 1, set up these two doctrines, the primacy of Peter and apostolic succession, to make the Roman Catholic Church distinctive, uh, distinctive at least from Protestants. Um, and I believe that's the, really the fundamental difference uh, between Protestantism and, and Catholicism, um, that whatever um, the popes uh, bind and loose, for example, are bound and loose. You know, whatever, whatever doctrines that they, that they, uh, establish, whatever teachings that they provide for are to be reflected and picked up in the church because they have the authority given to them by Jesus. And that's how a Roman Catholic would understand that, I believe. But I want to talk about now, um, how a Protestant might understand it. And I say might because, you know, one of the unique things about Protestantism, I guess, um, one of the differences is when I talk about Catholic doctrine, I, it's pretty uniform. I mean, you know, you walk in any Catholic, Roman Catholic church and you're going to find these, these doctrines, these teachings are, are pretty uniform among all Catholic churches because what, what the, the church decrees as doctrinal, then it gets picked up by the lower, the churches and, you know, and is carried out. But Protestantism isn't like that. There are all kinds of different flavors of Protestantism, uh, Protestants. Different churches have different distinctives and different teachings, and it's a wide variety. So when I talk about these differences between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism, you have to give me a little bit of leeway when I say Protestants, because there could be some Protestants out there right now who are listening to me saying, nah, that's not the way I see it. That's not the way I, I, I understand it. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of painting with a broad brush when I come to when it comes to Protestant understanding. So I guess maybe I'll talk more of how I understand it and perhaps some some other Protestants understand um, these two passages. So let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, where the primacy of Peter is is recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. There, this conversation in Caesarea Philippi. Um, and um, let me say, I, I, I'm not really sure about this passage. I have a lot of questions about it, and, and I'm not... I can't be too dogmatic as I speak about it because there are some things that I simply don't understand. Um, of course, G- Peter made this profession of Christ, this very bold and, and uh, very firm profession, confession of who Jesus was. And Jesus turned to him and he said, um, uh, you know, I say to you, Peter, and of course, 
Of course, this is a nickname that Jesus had had given him, Peter, and it, it means rock. Um, and so in the Greek, which is what the language was written, it says, I say to you, Peter, or Petrus, that's the, that's the Greek word for rock. Upon this Petra, use another name for rock, I will build my church. And I know some Protestants have, have tried to point out that this difference in the Greek uh, might suggest to us a different understanding than the Roman Catholic uh, way of understanding it. Um, and it could be. But I, I, I don't feel confident enough about it to say, yes, this is a difference or, or no, it's not. I, I guess I, I really don't know. And I've never heard a Protestant rendering of this particular verse that has really satisfied me to say, ah, you've nailed it there. You, you've proven your point. This is exactly what Jesus meant. Now, I will say also, I can't say that the Roman Catholic understanding is the correct uh, understanding. It, it could be. I don't really know. Um, I don't think there's enough data in that particular passage to really give us good insight as to um, what Jesus exactly meant when he you know, said, upon this rock I build my church. Although we know in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that Paul describes Christ as the, the chief cornerstone of the church and that uh, the foundation is the teaching of all the apostles. Peter isn't separated there, and, and matter of fact, Christ is called the chief cornerstone. But whether Peter gets any special privileges here, I don't really know. And I don't really know when Jesus said to him, uh, I give you the keys of the kingdom. That's a, that's a bit of a mysterious verse to me. I don't know what exactly Jesus meant when he said that. Now, when he said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth and loose on heaven, that we can have some insight into, I believe. Um, Actually, two chapters later in Matthew 18, Jesus said that to all the apostles. So that's not a, a privilege especially reserved for Peter, but he told all the apostles, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And binding and loosing is generally understood as terms that the rabbis in Jesus' day used when they when they made traditions or they, or they made rulings, they, they bound the people to them and, or they would loose them from those and things like that. And so whatever, whatever these apostles were binding, um, you know, that, that it's a reference to that Jewish term. But we also know from, um, studying the Greek and I'm, I don't, I'm not a, I don't know Greek, but I, I have translations that tell me this and, and perhaps some of your modern translations will actually have a footnote to tell you this. I think it's well established that when Jesus said, whatever you bind on heaven, um, will be bound on earth. The literal translation is whatever you bind in heaven will have, or excuse me, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. In other words, this is something, it sounds to me as if, uh, Whatever God the Father has established, you will be reflecting uh, what the Holy Spirit is directing you to to reflect. You know what has been done in heaven. You'll simply kind of carry this out, and so that that particular passage is not as troubling to me as a as a uh, a Protestant or as a, a non Roman Catholic. But the rest of it, I will tell you, I, I, I'm not really sure of. Um, so you might think, well, well, Dane, then why aren't the Roman Catholic? I mean, you know, if they have an argument that's just as good as anyone else, well, I'll, I'll get that in a minute. But I mean, I do have reason to believe that maybe Peter wasn't seen as the head uh, of the church, that he wasn't seen as the leader of the church. Um, you might remember in Galatians chapter 2, Paul was writing to the church in Galatia um, the, uh, after he had 
left there, some people came in and, and had sort of um, undermined his ministry and his teaching, and he found out about it. He was very angry when he wrote them this letter, and he was trying to establish himself as an apostle, say, listen, I'm, you know, I got this from Jesus myself. I am an apostle, and, and so on and so forth, because apparently he had been attacked by these uh, false teachers. And in Galatians chapter 2, he reminds them of an occasion that he had with Peter, um, that uh, Peter had come down and, and he, had, he had been with the Gentile Christians. Of course, Peter was Jewish, Paul was Jewish, and, and uh, the, the church in, in uh, Galatia and these other areas, they were mostly filled with Gentiles. And Peter came down and, and, he, and everything was fine, everything was hunky-dory, until some leaders from the church in Jerusalem came down. And um, as soon as they showed up, Peter withdrew himself, and he wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles anymore. Well, when Paul saw this, he was furious, and he took on Peter. Um, and he said to Peter, I mean, he, he confronted him about what Paul called hypocrisy. I mean, he was being a hypocrite, and um, he uh, he withstood him. I mean, he stood up against Peter, and he, and he went against him. Now, if Peter was the head of the church, if Peter was supposed to be binding and loosing on, on earth— then it would seem that Paul would have thought, oh, wow, you know, Peter's, Peter's got, uh, you know, the, the teaching here. Peter's right. Uh, we should withdraw from the Gentile believers and so on. You know, Peter would be establishing uh, teaching within the church. He's been given that by Jesus. But that's not the case. Uh, Paul takes him on. And, um, I mean, Paul points out, Peter, you're being a hypocrite and you're wrong. Um, so I, I don't get the sense as I read that passage that Peter's the leader. The other passage is found in, um, or another account is found in Acts chapter 15, in what we sometimes call the first ecumenical council. It's where all the apostles came together and they had to work out this idea of should Gentile believers be circumcised or not. In other words, should they become Jews to become Christians? Um, and Peter actually speaks. Peter's present. Uh, he, he gives an accounting. In my opinion, the, uh, the council in Acts chapter 15 actually takes place chronologically after uh, the Galatian to Galatians 2 incident, um, and uh, Peter stands up and he he, he talks uh, about what he thinks is is the case, and um, you know it sounds like Peter is very for including the the Gentiles without making them be circumcised. But what's interesting is that after everybody is done speaking, it's not Peter who decides on the matter, but it's James. James is the uh, um, he's a the half-brother of Jesus, and after everybody is done talking, after all the arguments are made, James gets everybody's attention, and James announces what the church is going to do. Now, why would it be James if Peter's the leader? Why would James be the one taking charge of this council when Jesus clearly put Peter in charge? And so, I, I mean, I, I think my answer to that would be, I don't think the apostles knew Peter was in charge. Um, that's just my sense that I get when I read this. Now, there might be some other ways to understand it, but I'm, as I'm just seeing it played out in just these two um, examples, I don't see Peter as being seen by his brothers here as the leader of the church. Okay, you know, for the sake of argument, even though I, I don't suspect that Peter was put in charge, let's just, for the sake of argument, I'm going to give it. I'll agree. Peter was put in charge by Jesus. The the primacy of Peter uh, is a fact. For the sake of argument, let's let's go with it. It's really not that doctrine that I take issue with as much as the next one, and that is apostolic secession. Now, again, I've pointed you to Acts chapter 1. Turn there again if you have your Bibles and take a look at this passage, because this is where I do differ with the Roman Catholic Church in the way that they understand it. 
And I think it's a little bit more clear. In the Matthew 16, I admit, not really clear to me. Roman Catholics could be right. I don't really know. I can't be dogmatic about it. But I think I could be more dogmatic about Acts chapter 1. Now, as we've already talked about, this is where Peter uh, makes an appeal to replace Judas. And this is where the Roman Catholics get the doctrine of apostolic secession. The problem I have with understanding the Roman Catholic way is that Peter, in his appeal to his brothers there, the, the other disciples, he quotes from two Old Testament passages, from Psalm 69 and from Psalms 109. And if you were to look up those passages and actually read both of those psalms, you're going to find out that they were written primarily, or at least those sections of the psalms, were written about the enemies of God. All right? Um, the psalmist was 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 crying out to God about these people who just, um, who, who are his enemies. And he's, and he's kind of sort of praying against them, so to speak. Um, and so Peter uh, very accurately uses these passages to point out why Judas must be replaced, because Judas was an enemy of God. He had betrayed Jesus, for goodness sake. He had hanged himself. This man was an enemy. He had fallen from the faith. And therefore, these passages of Scripture were very appropriate to quote. But how could any of them be quoted against any of the other disciples? Because we have no record that any of them fell from grace. Uh, Tradition is that Peter himself uh, died uh, hanging upside down uh, on a cross in Rome. He was was martyred and he remained faithful to the very end. You know, so who would have stood over uh, Peter's grave? And, and said, you know, these same, like the passage from Psalm 69, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. I mean, uh, I mean, that wouldn't have been true because Peter was a faithful man and all of the other disciples died faithful. They died faithful to the gospel. And therefore, these passages don't apply to them. In, in Acts chapter 12, the very first apostle to be martyred is James. That's uh, the brother of John, uh, probably the cousin of Jesus. When James is beheaded uh, by Herod, there's no record, there's no indicator uh, in, in the New Testament that any effort was made to replace him. Why? Because he died a faithful man. Um, and, and so there's no reason, in my opinion, to believe that apostolic secession is a doctrine that's viable. So even if Peter is primary, Peter died a faithful man. Um, and as a faithful man, there's no reason then to replace him. Now, he's not like Judas. He's not like a man, an enemy of God, whom Peter himself quoted these passages about. They don't apply to the other disciples. You know, I think for me, the bottom line is just really how church is, is understood. As I understand the Roman Catholics see church as an institution that God has ordained. And in this institution, it's, well, it's kind of like that corporation I referred to earlier, where there are offices to be filled, and when those offices are power, and it's, a, it's like a visible corporation in the, in the world. And I don't see that at all. In my estimation, in my understanding of church, it's more like a family. Jesus said in Matthew 20 that the Gentiles lord over each other. You know, that's the way the non-believer does it. The non-believer has the flow chart with the power on top. He said, that's not the way I'm going to do it. That's not the way you should be doing it. If anyone deserve, if anybody wants to be great, then let him be a servant of others. And I think that's the way Jesus wanted the church to be. More like a, a family with a natural flow of authority and service to one another. I would be a Roman Catholic if I saw an apostolic secession um, was correct but I don't believe it is. 
And I disagree with their understanding of what church is and what it was set up to be. But hey, that's my opinion. I'd like uh, to thank you for coming along um, today. Next week, um, kind of going to tag along on the same idea. I want to talk about how the Protestants really began in the breakaway from the Roman Catholic Church. It is a story that uh, is so good. I mean, it's so thrilling. I mean, they don't, they don't even write on this good. Uh, so I would encourage you to come back to next week to know a little bit more about this. Thank you once again for joining me. Thanks for coming along today. And I hope to see you next time.